you don't have your Bible open, grab the one in the seat in front of you and open it up. We're going to be going through that text verse by verse. That's page 1038 in the church Bible. Well, the world seems to be flipping out again, but there's good news. We have a solid rock we can stand on no matter what the world says and no matter what is going on out there. And that's why it's great to see all of you today because we've come to seek the one who can bring us through whatever turbulence, whatever chaos abounds. So let's go to him in prayer right now. Lord, if if you weren't real, if I didn't have hope in you, if you hadn't saved me, I would either be dead or insane. Lord, thank you so much that you're with us, that you promise to go through the storms with us, that you promise to carry us when the waters um, seem like they're going to go over our heads. Lord, we don't know anymore week to week what is going to happen, let alone month or year to year. So as we approach Christmas, Lord, help us to put our hope in you our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer. And God, I pray that everyone today would see their vital part in this thing you call the church, this thing you call the body of Christ. Help me, a simple man, to communicate your message to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I was a kid and a teenager, And for us, it was known, for young people, it was known as the age of the action movie. I don't know if you grew up. I didn't grow up a Christian, so I watched just about anything I wanted. And in those days, it was action movies. We had lots of action stars. We had Jean-Claude Van Damme. We had Sylvester Stallone. We had Dolph Lundgren. We had Chuck Norris. But there was one that overshadowed them all. Anyone know his name? Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's right. The Terminator. Before he became the biggest movie star of the 80s and 90s and the governor of California in the 2000s, he was known for something else. He was Mr. Olympian, Mr. Universe, the youngest man to ever win the Mr. Olympian championship. In fact, he won it six times. And he was given the, the title of having the best developed muscles in the history of the world. That's a pretty big title. I don't know if any of you want to go for that title. But he's the man you got to take down. And if you listen to his interviews when he was young and talking in his thick accent, he would, he'd talk about his, this regime that he developed, uh, that he would transform his body into this mountain of muscles as he was called. It was a very disciplined regime. But now he's 75. And those muscles have faded away. And it's a good reminder to us that all earthly things, all physical things, fade away. Right? All that time in the gym, eight hours a day he'd spend in the gym. Now, it's just a distant memory. But there is something that is eternal. 
And today, Paul is going to lay out for us God's regime for building spiritual muscle, eternal muscle that will last into eternity. And he's going to talk to us, as he has been for this whole um, book and throughout the New Testament, that the facilitator for this uh, muscle-building regime is the church, the local church. And that we need the local church in order to be, for God to grow us into the people that he wants us to be. We join a local gym, a physical gym, right, to build physical muscle. And Paul says, join the local church, metaphorically speaking, and they will help form you and form your spiritual muscle into that which will live into eternity. So that we're strong, so that we're competent, so that we're mature, so that we're stable, so that we're not just Christians that get blown around by every little thing. And he's been emphasizing the importance of the church, which he calls the body of Christ, which we'll talk about a little later. Eight different spots he goes into depth in this little letter called the, the book of the Ephesians. And he talks about it several times through other books, eight different times alone in this. And I want you to think of the church, as we're going to look at it, that the church body, it means a group of Christians that come together in a local area, they are like uh, your spiritual athletes that are coming alongside of you to encourage you, to push you, to hold you accountable to the goals that God wants for you. And think of the leaders as the spiritual uh, fitness trainers. Their job, our job, is to push you to see the potential that God has in you to become the very best Christians that you can become. That the local church is to be a place where you build friendships, where you find encouragement from other believers who care about you. Where we feed you the food of God, which will grow those spiritual muscles on you. I don't know if you, about you, but I've had times in my life where I don't feel like being a part of a church. I'm like, oh, I just want to stay home and just be by myself and watch sermons of people I like. Right? Maybe you've gotten to that point in your life before. But every time that I've felt like that, I've come to realize it's not a good feeling. It's not a healthy feeling. It's not God's desire for me. That it's usually either because of one of two reasons. I'm tired of people's stuff, dysfunction, or I don't want people to see my stuff, my dysfunction. Then I remember one time I read Proverbs 18, verse 11. It says this, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Isn't that so? He breaks out against all sound judgment. God's desire is for you to be knit together with a group of believers in your local area. That's why he talks about 70 different times throughout the the New Testament, this one another. 70 different times he talks about this loving one another and he's primarily talking about the body of Christ. Yes, we're called to love other people, non-believers as ourselves, but a Christian's primary uh, relationship building is first with the body of Christ. And COVID has forced us 
into isolation, right? Into our homes. And we have this thing called the internet, which we never had before. So the convenience of millions of sermons, where you don't ever have to see another Christian again, but it's not God's best plan. It was a temporary thing that helped us through the challenging time, but God wants you to get with other believers in order that we can go through and and implement this workout regime in our lives. You know, the thought of a Christian going through the Christian life without other Christians is about as absurd as this video I'm going to show you where this guy tries to convince you that his workout program is the best. Roll it for me, please. Why work out for hours if 20 minutes is all it takes? Quite a daring slogan from Body Street, but does it actually work? And if it does, then how? Time to take a look. Okay, with Body Street, the normal workout is accompanied by an electrical pulse that's transmitted via this nice black vest here. There's a bit of a tingle too. Can you feel it? Yeah? Yeah? It's completely safe though. It's precisely these bioelectrical pulses that are responsible for the workout effect being amplified many times over. All the muscles are given extra stimulation, and not only superficially, but really deep, deep down to the last fibers. The principle isn't new. In fact, it's been used in sports medicine for quite some time. But now, Body Street has taken this technology and put it into fitness studios. And all it takes is just 20 minutes per week, and that's all. So it's no gimmick. Instead, it's quite simply the result of electrical muscle stimulation. Over 40,000... That guy wants you to believe that you can become Arnold with 20 minutes a week. You believe him? I hope so, because I ordered you each one for Christmas. No, the truth is that that's just not true. And the truth is, is that we need each other. A Christian without a church is like a soldier without an army. It's like a quarterback without a team. It's like a bee without a hive. You just can't last. You just can't grow. You just can't become what God wants you to be. And Paul is going to lay out in these nine verses the pattern for this workout regime, the purpose of it, and the power of it. So let's pick it up in verse 7. Paul says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to the people But what does it mean he ascended? Mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of heaven, of the earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. The pattern. Now you might wonder, What is Paul talking about in all his gibberish about descended, ascended, gifts, and all of this? Well, Paul is quoting Psalm 68, specifically verse, let me read verse 18, where he's talking about David. David wrote Psalm 68 after he had conquered the Jebusites um, and taken the city, which we know as Jerusalem. David says, you ascended to the heights, taking away captives. You received gifts from the people even from the rebellious, so that the Lord might dwell there. Historically speaking, when a king or an army would conquer another town or nation or a city, three things would typically happen. One, all the valuable things from that conquered city would be taken. 
And it was often that the, the people would bring them out into the houses sometimes and give them as a sign of submission. And then those would be taken back to the conquering nation to build up and prosper it, given to the soldiers. Number two, the defeated soldiers were paraded throughout the conquered town to demonstrate that they were no longer in charge. And number three, those people that had been taken captive before were reclaimed by the conquering army. So those who were prisoners were reclaimed and given gifts for their service. And so Paul is essentially telling us that Jesus Christ came down from heaven to the earth, conquered sin and death in order to set the captives, that is you and I, free from the power of sin. And then he ascended to heaven and gave us gifts. What gifts? The spiritual gifts. Gifts we didn't deserve. Gifts we didn't earn. Spiritual gifts. That is the pattern of God. You cannot become a strong Christian. You cannot grow spiritual muscle unless you are exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given. And it is important to distinguish the difference between a gift and a talent. Sometimes we can get those mixed up. A talent is something you're naturally good at. God gave it to you when you were born, when you came out of your mother's womb. You, re- you had talents in certain things. It is natural. It is from the world. A gift is something that is supernatural, given to believers when they are born again through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You are given gifts that are from the supernatural. They are for you to work in conjunction with other Christians' gifts so that we can do that which God has mandated for us to do on this earth. And if you wonder why so many churches are dysfunctional, so many churches seem in chaos, so many churches seem to not accomplish much, it's because they're not exercising their spiritual gifts with other believers. I've put in your bulletin a list of the main spiritual gifts that we see in the Bible. I'll read them for you. Administration, apostleship, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helping, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, teaching, shepherding, and wisdom. Let me say this to you with confidence. If you are a believer in Christ... If you have given your life to Jesus Christ and he is now your king, then his Holy Spirit lives in you and there is a 100% guarantee that he has given you at least one of these spiritual gifts. I was informed a couple of weeks ago that Kathy Brock uses her spiritual gift of helping. She comes in during the week when none of us are here. And helps Christine prepare the arts and crafts so that when the teachers come in on Sunday to teach the children, it's all prepared. That is her putting forth her spiritual gift of helping. Many of you know Maddie, Pastor Mark's wife. She's been given the gift of gab, but she's also been given the gift of administration. She is very good at putting together events. That's why she's in charge of women's ministry. She does it for a living uh, with weddings. It's a spiritual gift, the gift of administration. There's a person that 
that is a part of this church that nobody knows except myself, that has the gift of giving, and they make themselves available, I know that I can come to them whenever, if there is somebody in genuine need, I can come to them. They're not rich, but they set aside money every year to help. The spiritual gift that they have is giving. You all have gifts. Maybe you don't know what your spiritual gift is. There's a chance you, you possibly don't. And if you don't, and you'd like to know, which I hope you'd like to know, when our pastor of discipleship starts next month, he would be happy, Dustin, for you to come to him, and he will help you discover what that spiritual gift is. But for most of us, God will help us to realize it in time as we grow as Christians. You know, it's those things that pull on our heartstrings. It's those things that we're passionate about. It's those things that God lays on us. It's things that other people see in us or encourage us to, hey, you seem to have a gift in that. Why don't you serve in that? It's, it's sometimes got to be something you try out. You know, you're not necessarily going to find your gift unless you try a few different things out and then you'll see, oh, God has given me something. I didn't do this before I was a Christian. No way you'd get me up here and to be able to talk about these things. But it's something, an ability that I didn't have that God has given me now. And I had to try it to see that I had it. But don't be confused. You have a gift. You have a gift, and it may be very different from what your talents are. And by exercising these gifts, it's putting muscle on our spiritual bones. Moses was pretty useless at a lot of things. He was definitely not a leader. And then at 80 years old, in fact, the only thing he'd really been uh, given charge of was a bunch of sheep. At 80 years old, that was the highlight of his life, his biggest accomplishment. And then he met the God who created him. And God gave him the gift of leadership. And he became one of the most successful leaders in history. And there are leaders in the church. Paul's going to list five sort of leadership positions. And the gift of leadership or the gift of of apostleship or prophets or evangelists or pastors or teachers, uh, our gifts are meant to encourage you to exercise your gifts. We are like personal trainers who come alongside you so that we can push you to the best of your ability, to the best of what God wants to do in you. And Paul's going to list five. First, he says apostles. Now, let's understand, in a literal sense, there are no more apostles. A literal apostle meant that you were called by Jesus Christ, you witnessed Jesus Christ ascended, you talked with him, you received a message from him. They are now gone in a literal sense. But in a functional sense, there are apostles. Let me read for you the Greek word, what it means, the Greek word for apostle. It means a messenger, an envoy, a delegate, one commissioned by another to represent him in some way, especially a man sent out by Jesus Christ himself to preach the gospel. So in a literal sense, there aren't any more. But in a functional sense, there are. In fact, for much of church history, missionaries were called apostles because they were envoys sent out to proclaim a message. In many church circles, uh, the word bishop is interchangeable with apostleship, meaning he'd been called out a leader amongst the leaders 
In the New Testament, we see 11 different people who never met Jesus Christ, who never got a personal message for him that were called apostles. Matthias in Acts 1, 26. Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9, 5 to 6. Janias in Romans 16, 7. James, the half-brother of Jesus, Galatians 1, 19. And there's seven others. Then he lists prophets. That's another personal trainer. Now a prophet, that can be confusing in our day and age when there's lots of people on YouTube and the radio and TV saying they are a prophet and they got a message from God. And it's something you want to be very careful about. Whenever somebody says, I have a message from God, you need to pause and you need to listen closely. How do you know if somebody actually has a message from God? Well, you see if it comes true. And if it doesn't come true, well, then they're a false prophet. And the Bible is very clear about that. And so if you keep listening to somebody who says, I have a message from God, this is going to happen, and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen, it's a chance he might be a deceiver. But that isn't its only sense. A prophet, there's two forms. A prophet declares the mind of God, which sometimes predicts the future, sometimes. That's Jeremiah and Hosea. And more commonly speaks forth his message for a particular situation. And so in a prophetic sense, you can have somebody who looks at the Bible, looks at the situation in the world, and preaches a message specifically for the people in that time, and they are prophetically speaking. Then there are some, he says, who are evangelists. That is somebody with a vocational calling uh, to, uh, from God to announce the good news throughout the world. That's Billy Graham. That's Peter when he stood on the rooftop. That's Paul when he went to the different nations proclaiming the good news, the gospel, to places that haven't and ears that have not heard it. Then he says some pastors. And depending on your translation, it might say shepherd or it might say pastor. It's the same word. A shepherd or a pastor is a feeder, a protector, or an overseer of a group of Christians. It's their job to shepherd them. Whereas the evangelist is a preacher, the pastor, shepherd, is a caretaker. And then he says one more, teacher. A teacher is an instructor acknowledged for their mastery of their field of learning, whether it be in scripture or Bible teaching or in theology. You might even be one of those things and you don't even know it yet. And, and it's important for us to know sometimes uh, people think that a pastor is to be all of those things. A preacher and a pastor and a teacher. But it isn't so. They're each individual spiritual gifts given by God. And it is a real loss for you not to exercise your spiritual gifts. Did you know that? Like some of you, I see potential in you that you don't even know you have. And it's a loss to me, it's a loss to the church, and it's a loss to the world, and it's a loss to you. Because we don't get to experience the gift that God has put in you. God didn't give any gifts to be put in the closet. It's Christmas coming up soon, right? And we get a lot of gifts, don't we? And some of those gifts are like, this is great, this is all I wanted. And some of you are like, 
Um, this is nice. It's really lovely. Oh, do you like it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. But in your mind, you're like, I hate it. Right? And you take that gift, maybe it's a sweater or something, and you put it in the closet and you never wear it again. But God doesn't give gifts to be put away in the closet. He gives them to be used and exercise. And as you exercise those gifts, you grow stronger. That is the pattern of God. So what is the purpose of these gifts? What is the purpose? Well, look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ, to get it strong, to build it up, to equip it. He doesn't want weak, wishy-washy Christians. God wants to build up an army of spiritually muscle-bound Christians. There's a saying in the pastoral world that a North American pastor dies the death of a thousand expectations. Meaning that if you look at a job description for a lot of pastors, they want, you know, a master's degree as a minimum. <clears throat> they want um, five to ten years experience. They want you to be able to preach the most passionate message that will keep the people on the edges of their seats, right? Because they're used to watching all the best people on TV, and so they want you to be the same. They want someone who will shepherd and care for and understand each individual person and, and their likes and desires and their struggles and so on and so forth. They want a teacher who understands the scriptures to the level uh, that will just blow their minds in the Greek and the Hebrew, right? And they want an administrator who is able to run spreadsheets and, and organize things right they have all these different expectations but God didn't equip many people with all of these and so these expectations often overwhelm that's why only one out of every 10 pastors who starts will actually make it to retirement because they just burn out from all the expectations and I think one of the wisest things I did coming in here was to realize I only have a couple of gifts so when I came to here six years ago, I realized I got a couple gifts and I desperately need to find people who are gifted in all of those other areas. And I have. And people, God has sent along people. And I think much of the success of the church, of us as a congregation over the last six years, has been other people putting their gifts into work alongside myself. That is the body of Christ. That is the purpose of exercising our spiritual gifts. Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, saw this. Moses was like, he had all those expectations. He's organizing a, million, a couple million people. And every day it says he would come out probably very early in the morning and he would sit. No coffee then, so I don't know how he made it. Maybe he had somebody jabbing him with a knife every hour. But he came out and he would sit there and he would, he would listen to all the disputes. Everybody would line up and bring their stuff to him. Oh, this person offended me. Oh, this person stole my water over here oh this person did this right and Jethro comes along his father he's like what are you doing you're gonna burn out you can't do this this isn't what you're gifted at find other people who can do this sort of stuff and you do what God intended you to do which was to lead and so these leaders that Paul is listing their job according to the Bible is not to entertain as some do not to necessarily tell you what you want to hear, but it's to encourage you, to, to, to spurn you on, to implement God's regime for building muscle in your life, spiritual muscle, so that you can become who God desires you to be. 
So that's one purpose. You might say, well, when are you going to stop bugging me then? Eh, I'm just coming. I just want to come and just want to come. Stop pushing me to do and become all these things. Well, I'll tell you when. There's an answer, and Paul's going to give it. Four things we're going to find out. Until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. First thing I see there is unity. Unity. I'll stop bugging you. When we all reach unity in what? In like agreeing what color the carpet should be? Nope. Unity in the faith. That's a big thing. We're talking about the body of Christ, and, and, and the Bible says that Christ is the head of the church, meaning the brain. He's like the brain of the church. Okay, and, and I want you to think of the Holy Spirit as the nervous system, the central nervous system which runs throughout your body, which sends the signals from your brain to your body to do that which you're wanting it to do. And there's something called multiple uh, MS, multiple sclerosis. It's a horrible disease. Some of you have been affected by it and people in your lives. What happens in MS is when the brain, the signals from the brain throughout the central nervous system are disrupted so that the body is not getting the messages that the brain is sending. The body is not working in unity with the brain to accomplish that which the brain wants. You wonder why so many churches are dysfunctional? They seem to be fighting against each other? Why they can't seem to carry out the mission that God has clearly called them to? Well, they have a sort of MS. They're not unifying behind the faith. They're squabbling and bickering about things that don't really matter. And this person wants to do this. And this body part wants to do this. God calls us to unity. So that's one area. Paul says we keep going. These leaders keep doing until we reach that. Another one is, and in the knowledge of God's son. In the knowledge of God's son. Knowledge is important. Not just information, but knowledge. Hosea, the prophet Hosea said to the nation of Israel, which it was morally crumbling and and about to implode upon itself. He says this in Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of God. Any thoughts about why our society seems to be like collapsing? Like, it, I, sometimes I'm like, oh, I just, how was I so dumb? You know, when I'm like a young man and, and in my 20s and I'm like, oh, everything I'm doing, I'm doing exactly like what the world says and yet I'm miserable. And, and my life and a lot of other people's lives seems to be pretty like big mess. It's because we've rejected that which God has told us to do. The knowledge of God, we say, I don't want it. I don't want it. And I'm not doing it. And we see the consequences. It's the same thing happening in our society now as was happening in Hosea. So I will stop bugging you when we have all reached the full knowledge. That's a lot. That's a long way. That's a whole lifetime. Then he says, growing into maturity with stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children. Little children. Maturity. Maturity. This language is all through the Bible. 
Uh, when we are born again of the Spirit, Jesus said you must be born again of the Spirit. We're born once into the world through our mother's womb. And a second time, we must be born again of the Holy Spirit. And we are kind of birthed out junior baby Christians. We are little children, right? We're immature. We don't really know much about the world, just like little children, right? Everything nice to be taught to us. We're easily afraid. You know, little kids, thunderbolt goes off and they run in your room. Ah, mommy, right? Daddy, right? And they're scared of things that we are not scared of. Why? Because we've grown up. But in many ways, a lot of people who are Christians, they go to church all their life, but they stay little children, They stay on the milk. They're not ready for solid food. That is not the way God intended us to be. First children. Then he says, Paul says later, I thank you who are young men in Christ, who have overcome the evil one, and you who are elders in Christ, who are wise. That is is the intent for God, of God, for us to grow in maturity. So that we're not like little children. Not squabbling. You took my stuff. You offended. You said you're getting more attention over there, right? Which a lot of the stuff we see happening in churches. Paul says to the first to the Corinthians in First Corinthians chapter three, verse one. He says this, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, as infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, for you're not yet ready for solid food. In fact, you're still not ready, for you are still worldly. Ouch. But that didn't gain him friends, but it was the truth. He had been telling them to grow up and mature, and all he could give them was milk. But his intent, his desire was for them to grow up. And maybe you've gone to church a lot of your life and maybe you went to a church where they didn't teach you the word of God, where they they just entertained you. Well, know that we want to come alongside of you and help you grow into that so you can become a leader, so you can plug into other people, so you can help other people grow. That is the Christian plan for growing. Then look at the last thing he says. So I'll stop when, when we're all mature, uh, when we are, um, we've reached all the knowledge of God, and when we have, what is it, have perfect unity. The fourth thing is stability. Stability. He says, tossed by waves and blown around by every kind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in its techniques of deceit. Stability. Our job as leaders is to push you until you are stable in Christ. Where you don't need to be to be have somebody's arm around you at all the time, where you don't need to be held up, where you're strong enough, where your muscles are strong enough to hold you stable. Look at the world. Right? One day it's like we're out of this, we're out of this, and the next minute it's like, ah the stock market's tumbling and like people right? The world is so unstable because it's not planted on a solid ground. And and one of the signs that Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 6 to look out for is that people are easily deceived. Christians or people who profess to believe are easily deceived. He he goes on to list but in the last days there'll be lots of terrible things will come and men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and boastful and arrogant and lists a bunch of these things and he says they will have a form of godliness but deny its power. That means they'll be religious 
but they won't really believe in the power of it to transform them. They are the kind, he says, watch out for them. They are the kind who worm their way into households and captivate vulnerable men and women who are weighed down with their sins and led astray by various passions, who are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. God's design for you is to become stable. And it's my job and the other leader's job to push you, to encourage you, to hold you accountable until you come that. So that's the purpose. So we have the pattern to give gifts, the purpose to make you strong so that you can go out there and change the world for Christ and the power. Where does the power come from? Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. Pause there. Speaking the truth in love. Power comes from speaking God's truth in love. The truth is God's word. It is the spiritual food. That is why you should be in God's word every single day, memorizing it, because it becomes food that helps you to grow strong. Just as an athlete who works out needs protein and other healthy food and water, or else the exercise isn't going to do much, you, as you exercise your spiritual gifts, need the truth in love. And now there is truth without love, and there is love without truth. And sometimes Christians can have one and not the other. I'm, uh, I'm easily more a truth guy than a love guy. And I have to really watch that because I'm just bashing people's heads without love, then it is useless. And if I'm just loving without truth, it's useless. But we give love or we give truth in love. Truth without love is often, I want you to do it because I said so. You know, you got a rule in a church, and you're like, why is that rule? I don't know. Just do it, okay? Is it in the Bible? I don't know. Just do it, right? And, and sometimes that happens in churches, right? And in some churches, they're like, you can do whatever you want. Oh, okay. Isn't, doesn't God say something about that? Oh, it's all right. He's, he's cool with it, right? It's not one or the other. It's both. Power of God is unleashed when we speak the truth to each other in love. Sometimes the truth is sweet, Psalm 119, and sometimes the truth hurts, Hebrews 12:5. But when we take God's word and eat it, and it becomes a part of us, a part of who we are, it transforms us. Then he says, "Let us grow into every way into him who is the head of Christ, who is the head Christ." From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up into love by the proper working of each individual part. If we can just get that first picture up. Thank you. So that is the brain, right? Going back to the imagery that Paul is giving us. That is Christ, the head, the brain. We do things the way he does. He wants us to. Then the nervous system we can think about as uh, the Holy Spirit telling us, communicating to all the different parts of the body. Not just the, the limbs, but also, next picture, the internal parts, the supporting ligaments, all the parts you don't see. Each one of you is one of those parts. Every Christian is a part of the body. They have. God wants you and, and has designed you to be a part of that body. 
or else the body just doesn't work right. There's no, I don't really do anything. No, you have an important place. So what is it? Are you a hand? Are you an arm? Are you a finger working together with four other fingers to accomplish something? Are you an eye? Are you a heart? Are you the liver? What are you? Are you big? Are you small? Are you a supporting ligament? We don't think of a supporting ligament, but guess what? If I don't have the supporting ligaments, my arm can't move right. And sometimes we think, oh, those people who who do things behind the, the scenes, they're not as important. Oh, they're just as important. They're the ones that bridge the gap and make things happen. Which are you? You know, I think some of us, some people in churches have have just decided they're going to be the belly button. The belly button's a part of the body, right? It gets its own name, right? But it doesn't really have a function. It just kind of sits there. It's just there, right? It used to have a function for a time, but it no longer does. And a lot of people are just like, I'm just a belly button now. I'm just here, just chilling. I did that back in 1976. Now I'm good. I'm just here. Well, brothers, sisters, there's no such thing in God's family. There's only functional parts. So which are you? Let's pray. And then I'm going to invite Don to come up and lead us in communion. Lord, I thank you for these men and women. Different ages, different backgrounds. Some are new Christians. Some have been Christians for decades. Some are knitted together firmly in the body. Some are kind of on the outskirts. Lord, I pray whoever they are, that they would know that they're not going to be strong Christians. They're not going to be muscle-bound, figuratively speaking, until they allow you to work them into this thing called the church. That they understand the pattern You've gifted them, that they understand the purpose to equip the saints, to build up the body, to to reach this lost world, and that they understand the power. It all works when we come together, when we work as we're we're supposed to, when we, we work under the power of the Holy Spirit and the direction that you gave us when you came to this earth. Lord, would you help us to move out of our sort of individualistic I'll do things my way and I don't care what anyone else says. It's about me way of looking at life. And would you give us a biblical way of looking at life? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.